0: Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm, book review podcast. And welcome back to another episode of Things That Make You Go Hmm, book review podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me. And we got some more books to get to. Okay, so uh, for today, I'm going to be uh, reviewing the book, Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives by... Gretchen Rubin and I I should probably say that this is the third book that I've read by Gretchen Rubin um I know this one was written a number of years ago and I believe she has a podcast that goes along with the book as well um that she spun off after the book and I I did listen to a couple of her podcast episodes and they are pretty good Uh, I definitely enjoyed them um I don't know, really know like if Gretchen Rubin necessarily is a writer who has a certain background and decided to begin writing books based upon her background, like the same way that maybe an Angela Duckworth coming from uh, a child research background, or maybe a Walter Michelle coming from, uh, a, you know, a child. Science background, or a Daniel Kahneman, who, or, or maybe Dan Ariely, or those guys who studied psychology in depth at a university and then wanted to write more popular uh, nonfiction books for a greater audience. I, I think Gretchen Rubin is kind of much more in that mold of of an Amy Choa or a uh, you know Dan Pink, uh, somebody who basically is just a pretty good writer, uh, and she tends to right but maybe something similar to what i'm doing with this podcast in that she just thinks about uh life in general and how to and and then she just construct and then she does research and she sort of constru- constructs books based upon her and then she sort of melds it with her own ideas and philosophies um and like i said this was her third book that i've i've read i read the first book that i read by her uh is probably i think her most popular book that she became famous for, which is The Great Happiness Project. And it just talked about how her own journeys with trying to become a happier person and things that she did and combined it with personal research. She is I give her credit. She is a pretty good researcher. Um, And then the the next book I read by her, um, uh, Happier at Home, which was an interesting book. It was kind of more, I think, of a follow-up to her Great Happiness Project in the sense that the Great Happiness Project was much more about how to become, like, a happier person, things that you can do to help support that that venture. And then um, Happier at Home was more of a book about, uh, well, a lot of people think that when, they're, if they're going to become a happier person, that they have to do these sort of elaborate, um, uh, radical transformations of their life and... She I think she really wanted to just make a book about how you can pretty much have the same lifestyle that you have right now. Um but everything that that you need to be a happy person is already right there in front of you. So I enjoyed both of those books. Now this is a book that I think really departs from from those two topics and in this book uh, uh Better than before. Gretchen Rubin is is mostly focusing on how to how to change your habits in order to uh, live a more you know productive, happy life. So, of course, this is a topic that has been written about extensively. Uh, I I have I probably have a number of podcasts that deal with this in in some way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, uh, I I want to say maybe about seven or eight years ago is when I started reading about heuristics, behavior, psychology, and I got so into it that I, that's kind of how I created this podcast. And of course, like I, I'll, and that's still, I think, mostly what I review. I'll still bring in, sometimes I'll bring in books about politics or sometimes, you know, maybe there'll be philosophy or, uh, Things that might deal with religious topics or things that are going on in society, but mostly I'm 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 in mostly the books I think are behavior psychology. And one of the first books that I read that Gretchen Rubin talks about too that really got me into this was The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and that book just really kind of opened my eyes to this whole new world of how humans behave, why they do what they do, and and I, and when I was in college, I definitely took a few psychology classes. That were interesting, but they were just so scientific. I, it, it, it's kind of my the same issue that I have with a lot of science. Like I, I there's people if you, <laughs> I think that science can be so interesting and so fun, but the it's the way that it's taught with so many fundamentals and basics and memorization that most people that I knew at least in in high school we didn't really enjoy science too much. It was just so difficult. And my wife still talks about. Organic and inorganic chemistry in college as being, you know, some of the most dreaded classes that she ever took. So, so again, I I think that revisiting some of these topics as an as as an adult, when I'm out of that high stakes, uh, you know, trying to get the best grade possible environment, that competitive environment, really allowed me to begin to explore and enjoy some of these topics. So. Uh, the Power of Habit was really one of the first books that, as a matter of fact, it was, it was so meaningful that um, I, I can remember seven or eight years ago, uh, I work as a public school teacher, when parents would come in for back to school night, you know, the orientation for parents at the beginning of the year, I would actually start, I would I would tell them about The Power of Habit and how you can, if you just make very small changes to your daily routines, it can have dramatic effects. So I think this book sort of revisits that, but I think in many ways it, it goes into a different direction. And what I appreciate about what, what Ruben does in this book, where it, it's different than a lot of books about habits, is most of the books that I've read about creating new habits have to deal with the technical aspects of, of what to do. Like, okay, so do this instead of this. Uh, plan out this time period. Create, create different quadrants of your of your daily uh, life use a, a da- use a journal uh, assign values keep yourself in different sectors and I, I think there are some people who that that works really well for and like any program um, you know sometimes parents will ask me this they'll say so you know what 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 kind of routine should I set up for my kids at home and you know, my, my, my response is the, the routines that you create are probably not or, you know, sometimes parents will ask me about like punishments and reward systems. And, you know, I'll, I'll say that I, I don't I don't think that what system you're using is anywhere near as important as the fact that you're using a system okay? Um, the fact that you are creating routines and that you're creating timelines for yourself, how you do it, I think, is a lot less important than the fact that you're actually doing it. And what I appreciate about Ruben's book is she actually takes that to a an even deeper psychological level. Now, I know that psychologists, many of them disagree with Categorizations of personality, uh, like the Myers Briggs. Uh, I, I personally am a, am a big believer in the in personality types. Um, if anybody's into the Myers Briggs personality types, and curi- if you're curious what I am, I, I fall into the the uh, INTJ, the 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 introverted uh, thinking. Um, judgmental person, I suppose. I know, right? Who else would be doing a podcast about books and behavior psychology? So, uh, Gretchen Rubin does this too. And, and this is really, I think, the crux of her book, honestly. And that is, if you're going to change your habits, the, you got to. the first thing you have to understand is, what type of personality do you have? And she says that people mostly fall into one of four categories and i'll I'll go over each of the four categories the categories are are you um an obliger and i think she would say that this is probably the most common category and an obliger is somebody who will do something because they they feel a sense like the word says they feel a sense of obligation so for example they might um they might take their kids to soccer practice and pick them up because they want to make, they want their kids to know that they're being supported, uh, that you agree with their routines. Or if somebody asks them to do something, they'll agree to do it because they don't want to let somebody down. And she was saying that for for people like this, it can be very useful uh, if you're trying to change some habits to to get somebody else involved with you. So, for example, you might have like a workout partner, and if you have a workout partner, then you know you you tell your partner, "Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna jog twice a week." And so, whether you want to jog or not, and I guess this is pretty much useful for everybody, but especially for obligers, they're they're gonna want to do it because they don't want to let their friend down. And so, she encourages people who are obligers to to try to get themselves involved with. Um, uh, making commitments because uh, especially if, if they're gonna benefit themselves in the long run because they're much more likely to do it if they feel that uh, you know they 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 want to please somebody else uh, in the process. And uh, this is probably the most important uh, they're, they're the most common and I think it's it's important that they are the most common because without a series of obligers I don't think, I don't think society could function. I mean, let's face it. For any society to work, people have to buy into the system. They have to believe in the system. They have to want to participate in the system. And you're going to need a lot of obligers to go along with that. I I just think society would be complete chaos if it wasn't mostly run by obligers. Okay. So think about that. Now, the next one, the category, and I tend to think these, and Gretchen Rubin would agree, uh, these people are very they're they're very rare and they are the upholders. If you have an upholder personality, and the way that I could explain an uphold an upholder is they they're really interesting. They don't have any sense of they don't necessarily feel a need to to please other people. They have this sort of intrinsic uh, motivation where. Once they commit to something, they're committed to it simply because they have committed to it. They don't—they don't really need a lot of external motivation for that. Um, a lot of people who become really successful in life, uh, you know, CEO types or entrepreneurs, a lot of them have that sort of upholder personality. They said, "You know, I'm going to create a better light bulb." And so they're going to wake up really early in the morning and they're going to do tons and tons of research and they're going to look for funding and they're going to do all of these things. They don't really, they don't necessarily question their motivations a whole lot because they've, they've committed to something. So my wife is actually, and Gretchen Rubin is also an upholder, my wife is also an upholder as well. And this is evidenced by the fact that she runs marathons. And so she trains on a daily basis every single day without exception maybe once a week maybe she might take a day off but i I don't see it very often she runs okay or she goes to the gym or she does something (laughs) this is what i find really fascinating about upholders is that if you really kind of question them and hold their feet to the fire uh, about why they're doing what they're doing they they might not be able to tell you they they don't. They once they just commit to something and they they go for it. And they were saying that the the problem. Ruben was saying the problem with upholders when it comes to. When it comes to, uh, changing their habits is they're very very reluctant to commit to any sort of new routines. They're reluctant to, uh, get engaged with any sort of commitments because they know they you know there's there's like the running joke that they're that. They're that one kid in the the group that does all the work and the presentation and probably doesn't really get very much credit for any of it. So so they're hesitant about about committing to new things. So that's you know I, I was joking around with my wife. I was saying that you know in the past I'd say ten to fifteen years I've taken up lots of new hobbies. I've made new friends. Um, I've tried out new a lot of new experiences where I don't really think she has. Uh, she pretty much has the same, you know, couple hobbies. She watches the same few television shows. She has pretty much the same interests in food and music and and traveling and and those kind of things. Because just her personality is, you know, she they they don't like to commit to a whole lot of new things because they know that once they're committed, they're fully committed. They're and and. Uh, you know, it's they they tend to to be um, overachievers and very very hard workers, so so that's one of the things to be aware of. And they're very rare; you don't come across them very often. They tend to <laughs> to definitely be workhorses. My wife is certainly one of them, and those are the upholders. Now, the more uh, this is definitely one of the more common, according to Rubin, uh, categories, and I would agree with them. The third category, and that is the um. The questioner, and and that's that's definitely what I am, and questioners are people, and for the longest time, I always thought of myself as being a bit uh, rebellious in the sense that I didn't really want to go along with what other people were doing. Um, In staff meetings, it just seemed like you know I was somewhat belligerent and whatnot. And so that's sort of the identity that I've lived with myself for a long time. But but after reading Rubin's work, I I don't think so. I, I think I'm actually much more of a questioner. I don't I, I It's not that I'm unwilling to go along with a program, or it's it's not that I'm unwilling to adhere to suggestions. But I am skeptical, and I I think for for people like us, it can be it can be a bit difficult to get us to start new routines or change our habits as well because it has to make sense. I know it has to make sense to everybody, but I think questioners are especially bad in this category because they spend a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, what's the motivation behind this? What's the end goal? What am I getting out of this? What is there a better way to do it? What's the point of all of it? And and sometimes there aren't really there's not always going to be clear uh, answers for that. Um, Gretchen Rubin tells a really funny story uh, in her podcast, actually I think, but she was talking about her book and she was saying that, for example, with her husband, she wanted him to pick up some turkey from the deli on his way home, and he doesn't like to do it because there's usually a line, and he says, "Well, there's already other food at home, and so why should he have to do all this?" and and so she said that she has to explain to him. That you know their daughter uh, has a field trip, uh, two different field trips during the week, and she needs to pack a lunch, so she's going to need the turkey to make the sandwiches. And once he understands that, he'll commit to getting the turkey. It's it's not a problem. But because and she even laughs about this, she says, well, you know, because she's an upholder, she doesn't necessarily need that kind of an of an explanation. Um, you know, she's she's committed to 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 the program of improving her daughter's life, end of story. She doesn't need a whole lot of additional information and motivation after that, whereas questioners like myself, like we do. Now, the problem, the problem, of course, with questioners is, I mean, at least this is something that I'm dealing with, is that when you really get down to the nuts and bolts, there's not a whole lot of very explicit motivation or reasons to change my habits like for example if i decided to sleep an additional hour every day or if i decided to eat a little more junk food or if i decided to play a couple hours additional video games or be on my tablet or whatever the case there's not really a whole lot of immediate consequences for any of that it's probably not going to change my life uh, a lot let me give you an example uh, I, I if you listened to my last podcast about digital minimalism, you might remember that I was talking about how I deleted my Facebook app off of my phone as part of the challenge, and I haven't reinstalled it. Um, I still go on Facebook maybe once or twice a week, but I log on through my computer. And what 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 was interesting, uh, you know, about this whole thing is some people were thinking that if I deleted Facebook. Then I would have all. I would have at least three or four additional hours every week, and so people were probably pretty excited that uh, when they were asking me because I was telling them I was doing this challenge. What are you doing with these additional three or four hours every week? Are you, you know, volunteering at a homeless shelter? Are you, you know, building, uh, you know, a, a bunk bed, or you know, are you doing something really productive? And the answer is is no. i I'm just. Watching more YouTube videos, or you know, I'm watching more Netflix, which which is fine, you know. But so so sometimes that's the that's the thing about a questioner is that we might already see the end goal is is not something that is really worth it. Like, oh, let me give you another example. Uh, for a while uh, before I got into doing this podcast, I really wanted to or I thought I did, I wanted to make uh, a documentary film or get into documentary filmmaking, uh, at least on a low level. But the problem is, is because I'm a questioner, when I started questioning, okay, how much money, how much personal money is this going to take? Okay, uh, you know, how much free time am am I going to have to commit to this? How many resources am I going to come up with? How much help am I going to need to get? How many people are likely to even, even watch my movie? And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who actually who works in the entertainment business as a sound operator and I was I was asking him I was saying, you know, I don't I don't really know what to do because I'm not sure if I want to put forth that this kind of a commitment. And he was saying, Jason, listen, you, you have to understand that the people who actually wind up getting these movies done, they don't care if only one person ever watches their movie, as long as they get their message out there. That's all that's important to them. And I realized, like, OK, I don't feel that. way. <laughs> I, I do not feel that way. I'm not that committed to it. And so, you know, it, it never got done. And so that's that's the issue with being a questioner is it's difficult to motivate it's difficult to motivate them as well because they they have to they have to see the benefits and they have to see how it's going to benefit themselves, their communities, their families. It has to be direct, it has to be worth the time commitment. So i think what the author uh, says to do is to really try to understand, you know, when it comes to Trying to create new habits for the the questioner is is really do some internal searching about what are things that personally motivate you and try to connect back to those things. Like, for example, um, one of the things that I've been personally doing is, you know, especially during this quarantine situation that we're we're living in right now, is I've wanted to uh, I've wanted to um, increase my physical fitness as a way of being able to sleep better and being able to have more energy throughout the day, which I think would make my experiences throughout the day more enjoyable. If I get a better night's sleep, then I'll have more energy. It all connects together. And so when I wake up in the morning and, you know, I'm doing my morning jog or, you know, I have a little stepper machine that, you know, I'm able to get my heart rate up pretty quickly with only maybe about a 20-minute workout – um when I'm doing those things and I don't really want to, I just have to kind of circle back to why I'm doing it in the first place uh, to 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 deal with my questioning mentality and so that's that's really helpful for that now the last category um, and she says these are these this is also the second most rare category along with the upholders and those are the rebels and rebels are really interesting because they don't they don't want to follow anybody else's program. They, and I see all these, and by the way, I, the reason why this is so interesting to me is because I, because I work as a public school teacher. I've seen all of these personality types throughout the year. Um, and the rebels are basically the people who, they, I always consider them to not want to participate in anything, but it's, it's not really the case. They're actually fairly similar to upholders in the sense that, they are, are highly committed and they are highly motivated, but everything has to be on their terms. If they, they value autonomy more than anything else. So if they feel like they're being controlled or managed in any way, shape, or form, they're going to back off. They're, they're not going to want to wanna participate in things. But the nice thing about Rebels is once they have committed to, to a program, they're fully invested. The problem is, though, is that it has to be on their terms. So let me explain to you how I would deal with each of these uh, personality types in the classroom when it comes to giving them uh, assignments. So somebody who is an upholder, for example... Um, I would just say, I would just ask them, you know, what kind of grades do you want to get this year? And usually they'll say A's and B's and I'll say, okay, great. Well, then this is what's going to be required if that's what you are committed to. End of story. That's really all I need. You know, they, that's why upholders tend to, to be, you know, very high achieving students. Um, when it comes to obligers, I might say something like, hey, you know, if you get this work done, um, you know, your parents are going to be really happy about it and they're going to be really proud of you. And so, you know, that tends to be a way to to get them motivated. If I run across somebody who is a questioner, <laughs> those are the ones... I'm a questioner too, so those are the ones who I have, uh, I have difficulty with. And again, I, I have to get into a dialogue with them about the future benefits. Like, like, okay, if you learn how to properly use language mechanics, when you get into high school, your assignments will be a lot easier for you. If you learn these bath, basic math concepts... It's the only way you're ever going to achieve in those higher levels of math. Or if you're, if you like to do models, or you like to do construction or woodworking, whatever the case, you're going to need these basic math concepts in order to do it. So that's how I I would have to handle somebody who's a questioner. (laughs) Rebels are the most interesting because um, it's sort of weird. You have to get them to, you have to put them in a position where they think they figured something out for themselves. So, for example, what I might do with somebody who's a rebel is I would say to them, oh, hey, um, yeah, I, I noticed you don't have a personal reading book. So I, I just got a bunch of these books of, you know, somebody donated to my classroom. I, I don't really know anything about them. Uh, do you mind looking through them and just kind of organizing them on my library shelf? And if you come across anything you find interesting, feel free to take it. Because if I actually suggested a specific book to them, uh, you know, they're not going to do it because they're going to feel like I manipulated them into that. So I have to—I don't know—use sort of (laughs) subversive manipulation. I have to take the book that I think that they're going to like and just stick it into the the group, which they're normally going to pick out anyway. But I I have to make it seem like they were the ones who came up with the idea on their own, and on some level they did. So so those are the different personality types, and by understanding which personality type you fall into will will definitely make creating these habits uh, easier. Okay, so I I think I've given you a a pretty basic uh, overview of the book in the sense that, you know, it's much more of a psychological approach to, and she has lots of other great tidbits about um, starting new beginnings, the difference between moderation and full abstaining. and and what I really appreciated finally about the book and I'll go ahead and wrap this up. I know this is running a little longer than they normally than my podcast normally do is um when it comes to changing your habits around it's not going to be as simple as this new program. You really have to do some soul searching about what your personality is like, what your lifestyle is like, where you have areas of improvement, what it's going to take for those improvement do other people need to get involved? How much time are you willing to commit to this? Um, it, it's it's complicated. It's not easy. But it's doable. It is absolutely doable. But it'll be a lot easier if you take all these considerations Um into your plan before going through with your new plan so you don't wind up like so many of us do trying to start a new habit doing something a couple times and then just giving up on it okay keeping all of these things in mind your personality types your lifestyle will make that so much easier so uh, definitely a useful book for me it is certainly tweaked my own understanding of my habits and my personality and how the two are related and so i think you would probably enjoy this book as well and that is Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. Okay, I um, believe it or not, I actually do know what book I will be reviewing next time. Um, but it's going to be a secret. It's going to be a surprise. So you'll have to tune in to get that information next time. If you made it all the way to the end of the podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Again, it's always flattering to me that anybody... Um, you know is interested enough in what i'm saying to actually listen to an entire episode and and hopefully i was able to share uh this author's work in a fun and interesting way that would motive give you some motivation or maybe give you at least some uh recon information about whether you think this book would be good for you to read or not all right that is all for now and i will see you in a couple weeks take care and happy reading